This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. As usual, we'll have a look at a couple of those little business tips that will help us improve our business. We're also talking with Brett Gleeson from the Business Growth Centre about starting a new enterprise. Right now, we're going to have a chat with Craig McGregor from Retain HR about redundancy and the changes that are coming under the Fair Work. Good afternoon, Craig. Yeah, good day, Julian. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm well. Thanks for once again for joining us. Yeah, um, no so redundancy and retain HR don't fit in, do they? But uh, no, well, yeah, <laughs> I laughed at when I saw that. That's right. It's, a, it's part of the employment life cycle, I suppose, that we do help businesses uh, find, retain. But unfortunately, there are times when business slows down and they need to get rid of people. So, and, a, um, and of course, the, the global financial crisis is not helping there, is it? Yeah, look, and, and that's when you approach me today, that's what I thought. It's uh, probably timely to have a chat about redundancy again because when the global financial crisis hit us a couple of years back, um, the redundancy laws were slightly different to what they are today. We've now come under a federal system with uh, the Fair Work, Act, Fair Work Act and the Fair Work Ombudsman taking care of this sort of thing. So, yeah, the laws have changed. So if businesses are, as the economic climate does start to decline potentially, they are looking at um, terminating staff through redundancy, they should be aware of some of those small changes. So, so first of all, if we're thinking about redundancy, there's some specific areas we should look at. Yeah, definitely. And look, one of the things that I coach people about, the ultimate question you need to ask is, uh, are you terminating the job or are you terminating the person within the job? And that's going to be probably the key question that the Fair Work Ombudsman will look at, that is it a, a true redundancy or not, or a genuine redundancy using their terminology? So look, a lot of businesses will use redundancy as a way to um, uh, get rid of someone, hoping that that would um, mitigate their unfair dismissal uh, obligations, but the reality are, is that they've, they've probably done it in a, in a not-too-positive way and that the Ombudsman would come down quite harsh on them if, if, if that was discovered. So. So, so we're, when we're talking about the redundancy process, there is a distinction between the small business and other businesses? Yeah, most definitely. So um, redundancy really only comes into play for what, what the system deems to be a, a non-small employer. So a small employer is, is, is we can use it gen, generally, uh, someone with 15 uh, employees or less than 15 employees and people with 15 or above that's when the redundancy uh, legislation or the Fair Work Act in that area would come into play. And is there a, a set process that you have to go through? Yeah, definitely. Look, there's a, the, the Act itself sets out um, a process of consultation that you'd need to take, take on with your staff. And look, from a, from a HR perspective, I've, I've seen a number of companies go through this process when they're truly not ready for it, that they, they see the writing on the wall, that business is declining and they make kind of rash or quick decisions to you know, reduce staff in certain areas of their business and then you know, they've, they've had to employ staff back uh, later on or as casuals uh, to get uh, a short-term uh, need filled. So they really, you really need to do your homework and make sure that, um, yes, these business conditions are changing and, yes, we don't need this role completed anymore and the conditions of your, your operation have changed that dramatically that we're going to terminate that employee or that group of employees and we'll go through that redundancy process. And some businesses, if they're large enough, would have you know, either an EBA or the industrial instruments that they come under, like the modern awards. That's where you'd find that process of consultation, who to look at first in terms of if there's multiple employees within that category that you're looking to make redundant, 
who to choose and that process, you, you probably should be yeah, communicating quite effectively with your staff. So can we just mention some of that on, on the air? Is, uh, you know, who do you choose? Is it first in, uh, last out sort of thing? Or? Each, each employer is probably going to be different, the circumstances. Um, and that, that sort of uh, instant comes down to what you've negotiated with your employees or your union that you, you work with, uh, with your enterprise agreement or the um, instrument that you're working on. Look, some do have those sorts of clauses in there, that there's a seniority that um, uh, does come into play. You can ask for um, call for volunteers, so voluntary redundancy. So if you've got a, you know, an area of 15 staff and you need to reduce it by five, um, the first port of call in, in some instances is to, yeah, ask the staff, you know, is there anyone who, you know, thinks they've got a potential to find other employment elsewhere or uh, looking at retirement or would like to get out, and uh, you might be able to find your total five or four out of five and then go from there in terms of reducing the staff numbers. And I suppose the ones that have been with you longest are going to receive a higher redundancy pay anyway. That's correct. So uh, under the National Employment Standards, uh, there is a, a fairly defined um, table uh, that sets out you know, years of service and uh, weeks of redundancy pay. Uh, that can be different uh, if you wanted to negotiate that with your employers through an, an EBA. So... Uh, just to look at the the new fair work changes, what what specifically has changed? Yeah, it's it's probably the the implementation of the national employment standards and that table that we discussed. Um, those things had, had probably been more uh, award based in the past and varied, whereas now there is a sort of centralised national employment standard that uh, all employers need to abide by. Again, if there's anything more beneficial in their EBAs, and they would abide by that. Um, the, the small business um, uh, impact of lower than 15 staff is probably one of the bigger changes. But more importantly, I think people need to look at that genuine redundancy and what we spoke, spoke about right at the top of the show. That um, One of the changes that, that has been made is if a dismissal is deemed to be not to be a genuine redundancy, um, the unfair dismissal laws can come in play. But... One of the key key areas there is the redeployment of staff. If there was a um, circumstance where if you were getting rid of someone in an accounts role and you could have redeployed them into a, a vacant uh, sales management role or something where their skills were suitable, um, the Fair Work Ombudsman may come back and say, well, look, this is actually an unfair dismissal because you could have redeployed them effectively within your business and still made that key job redundant. And I suppose it's still prudent, even though the businesses of uh, 15 and under are not really covered to go through that same consultation process anyway. Yeah, most definitely. Um, it, the, the reality is, is that those employees won't be um, required to pay that severance pay or those you know, weeks per year of service. However, you want to make sure that the staff that you have still on board uh, are engendered in your business or, or working towards a common goal. And if they see people being pushed out of the door through a redundancy or a you know a poorly handled um, mm. termination, it's not going to bode well for their morale. So, you know, if, if you're using redundancy as a way to or pay out or get rid of a, a poor performer, what sort of message do you think you're sending to the rest of your staff? And mm. those are the things that I think you need to consider when you're making these decisions. And I suppose it's also important to communicate at all stages. I mean, you wouldn't want people reading in the newspapers that they're going to lose their job. Most definitely. And look at um, you know the big employers like Blue Scope. Going through that process at the moment, I'm yes. sure, or I hope, that they've been uh, communicating that quite effectively to all their staff because 
Um, you know, we've been through that here in Newcastle yes. uh, when BHP uh, closed down and the process that they, they've taken, there's been many studies written and, and uh, they really did a, 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 a great job of, of communicating and morale actually went up within the first um, few months of that being made uh, public that the staff would be made redundant at the BHP site. People became, I don't know, engendered with the brand and took ownership of their roles and said, we're going to see this through till the end. And the company then you know, put in place programs to retrain and all those great things. But if you handle it poorly, it can go the other way. Yeah, because it is important to keep the, the business going as well. That's correct. So if you are making, like we talked about, if you're making that rash decision or if you're, you're making someone redundant because they're a poor performer and you know, two, three, four weeks down the track or a month or two down the track, you really need to re-employ someone we've talked about in the past the cost of recruitment uh, can be quite high and mm. training and all those different issues mm. so you got to really make sure that you're making the right decision when mm. you're making someone redundant well thanks for your time again craig and uh, we'll have a chat another day no worries at all thanks julian thank you bye-bye Bye. craig mcgregor there from retain hr looking at some of those little points of the uh, redundancy and particularly those changes that may affect you under the fair work act and of course the fair work website has Plenty of information. And it's uh, 23 minutes past one. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to have a chat with Brett Gleeson. Good afternoon, Brett. Hi, Julian. Thank you for joining us once again. And uh, interesting subject, a new starting a new enterprise. Uh, many people would wonder, uh, why would we want to start one? Well, generally, there's, there's two reasons. If you're starting one from scratch, then uh, you're obviously looking to start a business of some form that, uh, you know, um, will create, either create a job for yourself or, um, you know, to, uh, to make money in some form. Or I guess the other way that you start a new enterprise is if you have an existing business and you want to grow it. Uh, so therefore, you will maybe add a new division, uh, which is a new enterprise or a subsidiary company or a whole separate entity. You start from, you know, I guess, it, it, you're starting from scratch again, but, but you're adding on to what you already have. So... There's a couple of different reasons why you might want to start a new enterprise, and uh, it just depends whether you're in the start-up phase or in the in the growth phase. Well, many people go, uh, I'm not sure where I should start with all this. So, so what sort of things does someone need to think about? Well, I think it's a, a series of questions that you need to ask yourself, and they go back to the very basics: the old what, why, where, how, and who, and when. And and under the why, you ask yourself, well, why are you doing this? What's the purpose of it? And uh, if you're starting a, a new business, well, who will buy the product or the service? The what is, you know, what is the product or the service? Uh, what's the cost going to be? What is the demand going to be? Uh, what will I charge? Uh, what's my point of difference? Uh, How is this different to anyone else uh, in business? Or uh, you know, and what's my competitive advantage? How will I have the advantage over any other of my competitors that, uh, you know, that I'm going to need to uh, to make a successful business? And you know what will actually make my business you know being successful so um and then on the where is you know where will I be located um where will my customers come from? where will I get my startup capital um and uh, yeah th- those sort of things and and the how is you know how will I source my product uh how will I get my product into the marketplace um how will i how much will I actually need to get started and how will I survive my first year of operation? And the when is, you know, when will I start, when will I operate my business, and the who is, uh, who will I employ, who will support me, who will give me some good advice. 
I think if you write the answers down to all those questions, you've really got the basis of a, of a good business plan for your new enterprise. And uh, if nothing more, then that's a, a, a very, very good start. And it's very important, as you've just said, to write down what you've said, because I think a lot of people have those answers that you've just said in their heads, but there's those little bits that they might have missed. Exactly, yeah. And, and you need to see the, the whole thing and, and go back and digest it and... and, and you can't walk this journey by yourself. You're going to have other people uh, walking it with you. So getting it on paper allows other people to have a look at it as well and then uh, do some positive and critical assessment of it for you and, and, uh, and yeah, add to it and, and make it uh, better than what it, what it might have otherwise been. A lot of people always say, now, is there some government help to help me do this? There is there is a lot of government help. Uh, end of the day, you've got to do a lot of the legwork yourself, but there is some help. Uh, the help comes in a couple of forms. Firstly, in the provision of information. So New South Wales Trade and Investment have a great website called business.gov.au, which has lots of useful information. So does the federal government in terms of uh, Aus industry. Uh, the ATO, for example, and the Office of Fair Trading all provide uh, very useful information and, and, uh, yeah, and help. And then in terms of, I guess, uh, a bit of a kick-along that you might need, there are, certainly with... Um, Trade and investment and Oz industry, there are often programs that will help you, particularly if you're in, in the um, uh, growth stage and uh, you're in innovation innovation space uh, or new technology space. There's often some government programs that will help you to um, uh, get your business, you know, get at least get feasibility studies done or pilot studies done that will get you, um, you know, a better a better product into the marketplace. So uh, funding is available from uh, from government departments uh, often. Mm. You've got to you know, you've got to sort search it out. Uh, the other one is the uh, new uh, enterprise incentive scheme or NIS program, which is the longest running uh, government program I think in Australia's history. About 25, 26 years now it's been running, and that's for people who uh, are getting some form of government support uh, benefit through Centrelink uh, and who want to start a business. Mm. Uh, and uh, there are courses uh, available, and um, we. Uh, along with our colleagues in Newcastle and uh, in Curry, uh, run the courses for the NEETS program here in the uh, Hunter Central Coast uh, region. And we've got courses starting uh, at Gateshead uh, and at Tugra at Newcastle and in Curry over the next couple of months. So now's a good time to, um, if you're receiving a benefit from, uh, from Centrelink uh, and you are an eligible uh, applicant, then uh, now's a good chance to get in there and get, uh, get five weeks of training and a business plan prepared and... Uh, a year, a year of mentoring uh, in your first year of your business. So right. it's a great, great opportunity. Good. Well, thanks very much for your time again, Brett, and we'll have a chat with you again next week. Pleasure. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, bye-bye. Brett Gleeson there from the Business Growth Centre, starting a new business. Yeah, those, uh, there is a little bit of help out there, so it's always worth seeking it. And time to have a look at our business tips and uh, this one's again taken from the Harvard Business Review and uh, of course we're always facing change particularly at the moment. Here's two ways to spot industry changing trends. All leaders want to know what trends will shape the future of their industries before they happen. To spot them early you can't mingle with the usual suspects at industry events. You need to interact with the peripherals of your industry. Here are two ways to do that. First of all, spend time with peripheral customers. Every industry has cutting-edge users that know or are even setting the trends. Find these customers, hint, they're often the younger, technologically focused ones, and tap them for insights. Secondly, investigate peripheral companies. 
Be on the lookout for interesting startups or established companies that could one day edge into your market. Don't be limited by traditional industry demarcations. Investigate companies solving similar problems that you solve for your customers. And that's a little tip taken from Trend Hunting on the Periphery by Scott Anthony. What about this one? Three characteristics of a real team. The word team is so commonly used in today's organisations that most managers are oblivious to its true meaning. Here are three characteristics a group must have to be considered a real team and to maximise its potential. First of all, a meaningful and common purpose. This is more than an outside mandate from the top of the organisation. To be successful, the team must develop and own its purpose. It needs, secondly, adaptable skills. Diverse capabilities are important. Effective teams rarely have all the skills they need at the outset. They develop them as they learn what their challenges require. And thirdly, mutual accountability. You can't focus trust and commitment, agreeing on the team's goals in the first moment at which the team members forge their accountability to one another. So there's a couple of little tips there that might help us with our business. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you enjoyed the program. We've spoken with Craig McGregor from Retain HR about the changes to fair work which relate to redundancy and spoken about starting a new enterprise with Brent Gleeson from the Business Growth Centre. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll talk with about wills with Amanda Carr from the Lake Macquarie Law Firm. We'll chat with Brett Gleeson from the Business Growth Centre about the importance of systems in your business and have some ideas that will motivate and improve your business. I'd love your company at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have a safe and prosperous week and, as Colin Powell once said, there are no secrets to success. It is the result of preparation, hard work and learning from failure.